0: Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The
1: best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees
2: I From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool senior analyst Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zirman. Guys, good to see you. Good Good to see you, Chris. Chris. On today's show, corporate espionage and the chocolate wars. Earnings news from Bank of America, Google, and Intel. Plus, as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks that are on our radar. But we begin with Friday's news that the SEC is charging Goldman Sachs and one of its investors with fraud for misstating and omitting key facts about an investment product called Abacus. James Early, what in the world is Abacus? Break this down for us. So, well, Chris,
0: it's a little complicated. It's not extremely complicated. Goldman Sachs basically assembled a, a CDO trade that it then sold to certain investors, foreign investors, pension funds, hedge funds, who thought that these CDOs were assembled by some sort of an independent manager, per, per the prospectus, apparently. Uh, come to find out that independent manager was John Paulson. This
3: Allegedly, the, don't sue us, Goldman Sachs. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> or John guy Paulson. A who, who,
0: who ran a hedge fund that was up, what, 500% in 2009, betting against uh, real estate. So th- the question is, is how do you define independent? Uh I don't know. I think the SEC is certainly under pressure to to, to squeeze some some milk out of something, and this is a good-looking target.
3: If it is as advertised in the SEC complaint, this is pretty bad. And even if it's legal, it certainly doesn't pass the smell test. And there are a couple of things that are very interesting to me. I actually urge everyone to read the SEC complaint. It is not that long. This was a synthetic CDO deal. They didn't even have a piece of the actual chopped-up mortgages. They had a piece of a thing that just points to the mortgages and bets they'll go down, which is even crazier. And that, of course, is one of the really dangerous things about what happened in this credit bubble, because if you allow people to do that, you basically have infinite leverage. And by the way, we don't know yet, or at least I haven't seen yet, who bought the other side of this trade, but it was very likely sort of widow and orphan money. And, and pension money, too. Exactly. And, and just to be clear, what, what the actual problem
0: is, is not so much Goldman profiting, you know, or or someone trying to profit at someone else's expense. It's specifically, Goldman allegedly misrepresented a certain investment that it sold to other people. So, you know, who knows what other sorts of potential cases like this
3: are lurking out. Yeah, I think that there's probably a lot more of this and Paulson does deserve credit for
4: i think investing according to what we probably all believed around the table too that there were a lot of bonds out there uh, and these CEOs that had ratings that, that were not warranted by the, the the stuff that was actually in them but he saw that thought thought there was a disconnect bet against them and consequently yeah. uh, you know he
2: made a lot of money as a result in other banking news Bank of America and JP Morgan Chase reported better than expected earnings this week thanks to wait for it strong trading profits JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon said the economy was looking up, but said a crackdown on derivatives trading could reduce the company's annual trading revenue by hundreds of millions or more. That would be so sad. <laughs> oh, oh my
0: gosh. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to send a donation, Chris. You know, First on the derivatives. Derivatives, um, most of them or many of them are, are not traded over an exchange, and they really should be. That will bring a lot of transparency and, and certainty and comfort to the market. So that needs to happen, regardless of, of whose revenue, it affects. But basically, the reason banks are so hot is, is stocks are at are at or near an 18 month high. People are trading more. There's more volume, um, you know, more more investment banking volume accordingly too. People want to go, go public at a time like this. It's it's not a, a real rally. We're we're still fueled by the Fed. We're still fueled by the Treasury Department. Indirectly, the banks should be doing well. If, if not, it would be an, an embarrassment. So the problem is. If we have a double dip, what happens to the banks?
2: The latest edition of The Beige Book was released this week. This is the report the Fed publishes eight times a year. The headlines, the economy is picking up in most parts of the country, factories are increasing production, retailers are reporting better sales, but many companies are still wary of hiring. Seth, we also got news on Friday that March housing starts were better than expected, so Let's just go around the table. What's, we'll start with you, Seth Jason. What's your big macro
3: headline of the week? Wow, I think the Fed is smoking something. Uh, (laughs) uh, To me, it it starts with unemployment and the simple fact that 44 states and the District of Columbia, according according to our government, recorded jobless rate increases from a year earlier. 24 states recorded increases from unemployment increases from last month, and nine had no change. So things are not getting a whole lot better for American workers. And the entire thing about housing starts is, as I've said many times here, the horrible truth is no one knows what's going on. The margins of error are far bigger than the than the reported gains, which means we don't actually have any conclusions. The one bit of good news on that front is that permits are actually slightly on the rise. both Building from, permits? Building permits, both from last month and from last year at this time. That's a little bit further down the road, but it's actually outside the margin of error, so we have some conclusive evidence that things are a little better.
0: James Early? Chris, first of all, let me just say, whoever named it the Beige Book needs to hand over his man card, because that's just not a word <laughs> we all use it. This is the same Some guy who came over the, the Yellow day. Pages. Probably, yeah, maybe the the Move Book or something <laughs> better. But um, f- for me, a couple things I see. Uh, as alert listener, Steve Broido, who's also our engineer, pointed out, uh, foreclosures <laughs> He's paid are to be up alert. Uh, 7% from the prior quarter. Uh, mortgage rates are creeping back up after the Fed is backed out of that market. And going back to those bank earnings, While the banks showed improved credit quality, a lot of them have been reluctant to make new loans. And if the environment is so great, why aren't they doing that? I think it points to a a possible double dip. Not likely, but, but it's certainly possible.
2: Shannon Zimmerman, what's your big macro headline for the week?
4: CPI. Uh, the forecast was for 0.2 uh, uptick. It was 0.1, and yet the the, the big story was uh, Bernanke coming out and talking yet again about the need to to get back on the the, the deficit um, bandwagon, deficit reduction bandwagon. I think that's a mistake. And why on earth uh, he's sounding that or dialing that up during a time when we still have near double digit unemployment uh, and some concerns about growth is
2: really beyond me. And we move from the beige book to Barbie's playhouse. Mattel reported an unexpected quarterly profit. James Early. We're talking about Barbie, we're talking about Thomas and Friends. What was your take on Mattel's quarter? Chris, what's interesting, first of all, they had a,
0: a loss last year, so it's great to see them doing better this year. Overall, toy sales were up 12%, but, but what the neat thing is that actually they didn't so much come from, from the Barbie and the Thomas the Train. Barbie was up only 5%, and, and Thomas's division lagged by a percentage point below the average. What kids really went for uh, this quarter was World Wrestling Entertainment toys. And, yeah! And, yeah, quality on top, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Toy Story uh, stuff as well. So I think that was what was so unexpected about it.
2: Alright, exit question. Which of these is not an actual Barbie product? Barbie Princess Fashion Horse? The Barbie Doggy Park playset? Or Barbie with Sensible Shoes? Barbie with Sensible
3: Shoes. Barbie Princess Fashion Horse. Doggy Park. Really? I, I thought that was just... Barbie with sensible yeah, shoes. Barbie's never had yeah. sensible shoes. There's she, no sensible she, she, shoes. She She's Barbie sen- for crying makes, out it loud. Seemed, it seemed so crazy that it had to be true. <laughs> well,
2: she can't have sensible shoes because,
4: because she, she does not have sensible move. feet. Yeah, you're, you're right. Her
3: right. Right. Your feet are, are, that's are <laughs> permanently <laughs> in high heel <laughs> position, aren't they? At least that's all my Barbies are. Coming up, earnings from Google, Intel, and GE,
2: plus the business of space. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in the studio with Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zimmerman as we break down some of the headlines for the week. Shannon, on Thursday, Google reported a 37% rise in first quarter profits on better than expected earnings and revenues. On Friday, shares of Google were down. What what is going on here? It's the return of the whisper number. <laughs> Apparently, they did not hit the whisper number that was reported on whispernumber.com.
4: I thought that that uh, that uh, mentality it's, had yeah, kind of gone away.
3: That's a ten-year-old thing that's come back from the dead.
4: Yeah, that's that's it's kind of silly. Yeah. What was interesting was a little bit of the theater of it. They didn't trot Eric Schmidt out to to be on the on the call, and I think that's interesting because it you know at uh, the level of symbolism kind of indicates that maybe they're trying to shift away from being a story stock and uh, get uh, analysts really focus on their financial results. As they go head to head with Apple, as they go head to with uh, with Microsoft and search, and I think that that's probably a good uh, play on their on their part. The problem for them is that the Nexus One phones are apparently not selling a- as well as they thought that they would, and until they can really get a dog in that fight, that's gonna it's gonna be an uphill battle. F- fortunately, their core uh, a- a- online advertising sale business is doing fantastic.
3: So Google remains that thing that I always say this, and I always get yelled at for saying it's just an ad company. People, come on! Yeah. it's a very good one, but it's an ad company.
0: James Early. In this just a fundamental problem with growth stocks is they've got to grow, you know, and if they don't, they get pummeled. Um, but that said, I think I was skeptical of Google at $100 a share, so, so do Are take you five advice. times as yeah. skeptical now? <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Exit question. Uh, you touched on a couple of their competitors. If Google could eliminate one competitor, who would it eliminate, and why?
4: I, w- I would say Apple. Uh, you know, that's that's the problem. They know that the future is uh, on, on the on mobile devices, and Apple dominates that. And based on you know the the poor experience that a lot of folks are having with Nexus One, uh, they're not they're not there yet. So if they could eliminate Apple, that would be a, a good thing for Google.
0: Anyone disagree with that? I, I say Microsoft because they just have so much cash. Even though they're not as good, they can just throw so much cash at stuff.
3: I, they need Microsoft though, because for all the, the the you know the complaining or the the rock throwing they do at Microsoft for being bad, Google is able to make its money because of Microsoft's platform, and that won't change for a while. Apple is somebody they need less, but who is a, a bigger threat down the road.
2: GE's first quarter earnings were down 32 percent, but the company said things were picking up both for the company and the broader economy. Shannon. You believe them well so this is sort of interesting we've been
4: talking about uh, you know really impressive earnings reports coming against very easy comps well it turns out that you know relative to a year ago GE's results are actually worse and and uh, it was still better than expected so the, uh the, the response to their report was was positive I think it's uh, you know the ongoing story of GE is this effort to sort of winnow the the, the portfolio of businesses that they have and focus on the core industrials business it's not going you know eliminate all of the other things that are ancillary but they're being treated as ancillary now uh, GE capital is uh, you know always talked about as something that they might potentially sell Sell. Interesting that they want to focus on industrials and uh, new equipment sales kind of in the tank. But the services uh, part of that, in, in, in part because the equipment sales are in the tank, uh, doing much, much better. So uh, it's a good quarter, even if
2: uh, relative to a year ago, not as strong. Intel reported better-than-expected earnings thanks to companies upgrading employees' laptops. This must be other companies, since <laughs> I don't actually have a laptop. But Intel
3: CEO
2: said many customers are buying cheaper computers with older chips. AMD also reported better-than-expected earnings. So, Seth, Jason, who's winning the chip war?
3: Well, Intel is winning, and, and AMD I'm going to, to not even talk about because they're just, they're just the also-ran that Intel lets exist so that they don't get a, an antitrust suit. Um, it, it's interesting. There's a lot of interesting stuff just in the few headlines of this Intel report. One of the, the things is that they sold more high-end chips as well. The other is that, that uh, the Atom, which is a microprocessor designed for netbooks, down 19%. These are sequential numbers. Is that the death of the netbook already here? We've predicted it here, maybe, maybe it's happening sooner than we thought. But if you look at what's happening at Intel, which is a record quarter, I think it says good things about the rest of the computer market, because this i mean, this isn't just better than last year, this is a very good quarter, and so it means other, uh, other follow-on companies, including PC makers, operating system sellers, and chip makers probably have a little more to look forward to down the road. So I think this is actually the, a very good bit of economic news. Yum Brands, the parent
2: company of Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and KFC reported a 10% increase in first quarter profits. In China, where KFCs make up most of Yum's business, profits increased 37%, making it Yum's most profitable region worldwide. Shannon, are you bullish on Yum? Uh, I, I'm
4: bullish on Yum. I'm bullish on KFC. And I want to go get one of those
2: sandwiches that we talked about last ah, week. Ah, <laughs> the man. double
4: down? With, the, with, the, with the, the chicken for bread? Come yep. on. I, I'm sure that you know, uh, we helped pop that stock as a, as a result of that.
2: The, uh, and just to review, if you missed last week's show, we're talking about a bacon and cheese sandwich. And instead of bread, you've got fried chicken. The, the, exactly right.
0: You know, when I say this with empathy because we're exporting some of our bad habits. I, I read that 25% of Chinese are now overweight or obese. And, so are you saying it, it's
3: all KFC's fault?
0: It's it's probably
3: 50%. <laughs> no, this is actually a very interesting story, and I, I pegged uh, uh, Yum! Brands a while ago in one of our blue chip reports as a company really worth watching, not only because they do a pretty good job operating here in the States, but because they... We're dominating in China already, and they continue to do that. This is going to be a major profit center for them. Twitter is looking
2: to make some money through its Promote Tweets program, where advertisers pay to have promoted tweets placed at the top of Twitter search results. So it's kind of like Google's model, except without all the users. Google has more than 300 million people using its search each month, compared to less than 3 million using Twitter's search. So, guys, do we think this is the first step to an actual business model for Twitter?
4: It's, well, it's a first baby step. They've got to do something. This is the obvious thing for them to do. So, all right, good. Next.
3: Yeah. The back of the envelope numbers you'll see out there. I saw one in the Wall Street Journal that says, let's see, we got 3 million searches, 20 odd million searches every month. That's $200,000 a month in revenue for Twitter from this. Uh, <laughs> this goes to... I've said this for a while. I think Twitter gave away the business a long time ago. Most people don't go to the Twitter page. They're not doing Twitter searches. there. Most of the users are using applications on phones or other applications on their computers. So there's no reason for them to start generating this Twitter search. And without a huge base of searchers, you're not going to have a lot of search money coming in. Exit question. Twitter's co-founder Biz Stone
2: and yes, that's his name, Biz Stone. <laughs> did
3: he give himself his own nickname? Because that's against the rule, it's, as we've It's, we've it's very important to find out if he did. I think, right.
4: I think I have one of those removed ones. Uh,
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> he said this week that Twitter now has 106 million registered users and is adding 300,000 new users per day. Let's say, for one day, Biz hired the Brain Trust here at Motley Fool Money as his consultants. He asked for our advice. W- what are you going to tell him? Oh. IPO now. Sell now as fast (laughs) as you can. Head for the exits. (laughs) And finally Wow, we've we've, we've, we've never (laughs) thought
3: anything like that. We're just like, get out of here. I think those
2: board seats are now not going to happen. And finally, President Obama outlined his plans to revamp the space program this week. In addition to canceling the space shuttle program and a return trip to the moon, Obama's plan calls for the private sector to take on a bigger role in space exploration which could be good news for the likes of PayPal co-founder Elon Musk and his company, SpaceX. Could also be good news for Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, who's working on his own sort of top-secret
3: space thingy. Um, <laughs> Seth, is this the new well, space point. race? Well, it has been for a little while, and I have to say this story bums me out a little bit because uh, Neil Armstrong, James Lovell, and Eugene Cernan. I was born, th- these guys wrote a letter uh, criticizing obama's move caused obama to backtrack a little some of the other outcry i was born the day that neil walked on the moon it's July 20, 1969. Neil was a guy who shunned the spotlight for a long time. I actually have a Neil Armstrong autograph because he sent my brother and I autographs because as twins we were born this day. So I'm really bummed that Neil is against this because I really do think it's the right move. There was a panel of space experts that recommended that Obama throw out some of these programs that really weren't going to pay back and that we let private industry, smaller private industries, handle the heavy lifting on the low-tech you know shuttle service in and out of orbit and i think that's absolutely the right thing to do and that nasa should focus on more far-reaching technologies like getting us further out of the earth's atmosphere i understand why the astronauts would feel threatened uh... by the fact that we don't have our own kind of taxi service we don't have our own car we're dependent on renting from the russians or others but I think it's absolutely the right move. The, the truth is that private industry is already doing this anyway. So NASA has always been an advisory role. It's just moving from the, the few giants like Boeing, Northrop Grumman, and others to a wider group of, of companies.
2: But I have to say, as an Amazon shareholder, I, I, I'm not actually wild about the fact <laughs> that Jeff Bezos is spending any time on this. I want him focused 100% something. on his own company. You
3: want him just behind the desk at Amazon all day long? Yeah,
2: pretty much.
4: Yeah, it, 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 not all, all his ideas are great ones. At one point, Amazon had nine-pound boxes of nails that you could get chipped for free.
2: I, I, I know, and the more time he spends <laughs> out behind the desk, he can weed out you know, ideas like that. James? I was going to say, you know, all
0: this stuff kind of makes me want to grab a diaper and drive down to Florida to fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, what is funny? Is, There's a blast in the past. <laughs> Would you ever have guessed 40 years ago that, that we're going to be dependent on, on the Russians to get to space? I mean, that that's ironic.
3: Let me take you on a little trip. My supersonic ship at your disposal. If you feel so inclined. alright. We're gonna travel faster than light. So do up your overcoat tight, and we'll go anywhere you want to decide. alright.
2: the guys will be back later in the show to share the stocks that are on their radar. But coming up next, we're going to pull back the curtain on the secret world of corporate espionage. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill, and it's time to dig into the business of spying with Eamon Javers. He's a reporter for Politico, and he's the author of Broker, Trader, Lawyer, Spy, The Secret World of Corporate espionage. Eamon, welcome to Motley Fool Money.
1: Hey, thank you for having me.
2: So, I, I think when the average person thinks about spies, you know, we have visions of the CIA, the KGB, government agents, <laughs> that sort of thing. But, but you've written a book here that the private spying business is becoming a big part of the way regular companies do business. How are companies using spies these days?
1: Yeah, that's right. If you want to really understand the global economy, you've got to understand the intelligence piece of how companies, uh, large financial institutions, law firms, and others are using corporate espionage to get an edge in this uh, you know, very complicated, uh, expanding, contracting global economy. And what I found is pretty much any time there's a major dispute, if you've got massive litigation, if you've got a, a merger and acquisition, a hostile takeover, perhaps. Uh, If you've got a hedge fund that's looking to get information, um, all of those are areas where uh, espionage comes into play. uh, Because the information edge that you can get from spying techniques and technologies uh, can really help you uh, win the day in a lot of those different fights.
2: Well, and one of the things that surprised me in looking through your book is there are active CIA officers, they're on right. active duty and they can work freelance for these private businesses. How, right. how is that working? <laughs> how, like, how does um, that happen?
1: Well, when I revealed that in the book, the United States Congress was a little surprised to see that, too. Uh, And they actually passed an amendment to the Intelligence Authorization Act uh, this year, a bipartisan amendment that said you know, the director of national intelligence, they want him to report to Congress every year now on who these CIA freelancers are, where they're working, and what exactly they're doing. In the book, I revealed that uh, because the CIA is under so much pressure right now uh, financially, they are losing a lot of people to this private intelligence industry, which pays a lot better than the government does, as all private in- industry always pays better than the government. Uh, the CIA de- decided that they have to have this moonlighting policy where they allow their guys to work nights and weekends in the private sector. And that's uh, sort of everywhere in the private sector doing all kinds of different things, um, but they won't say sort of exactly what. Um, but what I found, in the, in, and I reveal in the book, is that in past years, active duty CIA officers have worked at a firm called BIA, Business Intelligence Advisors, which was founded by a core group of veteran CIA interrogators, people with 20, 25 years of experience doing interrogations who are now selling that interrogation experience and those techniques that they learned and developed uh, inside the CIA in a corporate context, mostly to hedge funds who are looking to really eyeball CEOs when they're appearing on television or when they're giving their quarterly earnings calls and that sort of thing, and really watching the body language and listening to the word choice uh, the way an interrogator would, to get a sense of whether they're really confident in what they're saying, whether they're telling the truth or not. So the CIA folks, active duty folks, were working uh, at that firm in the past. We, we know at least that much. But there's a lot about this that we don't know, uh, and I think that's why Congress jumped in after my book came out. They really wanted to find out a little bit more about where these folks are working and what they're doing.
2: You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking with Eamon Javers, author of Broker, Trader Lawyer, Spy, The Secret World of Corporate Espionage. Uh, so, you talk about BIA and how they're watching CEOs uh, testifying. Uh, one of the things you write in, uh, about in the book is how BIA listened in on an earnings conference call. This is back in 2005, and the company is Southwest Airlines. Uh, what was BIA listening for?
1: Well. Their key, the key thing they listen for in all of these is indicators of deception. They pride themselves on the ability to do what they call deception detection, and, and they basically turn themselves into human lie detectors. And what they're listening for is any indication that the, the team, the executive team that's presenting on that quarterly call uh, is not telling the truth, is unsure about something, is hedging on something, and they've developed a series of psychologically-based techniques where they can actually uh, spot that, or or so they claim. Uh, And it's all based on this principle, which is kind of fascinating. I I got really into this when I was doing the research, and I was just incredibly fascinated by it. The the principle of cognitive dissonance. And that's the theory that the act of holding two opposite ideas in your brain at the same time actually causes sort of uh, subconscious physical discomfort. And people will do almost anything not to have that physical discomfort. And so when people are being deceitful or lying... They don't tell a flat-out lie. They look for ways to hedge so that it's sort of true but still misleading. And the classic example of that is Bill Clinton uh, during the Lewinsky affair when he said there is no affair. Well, of course that was correct when expressed in the present tense, but uh, you know there had been an affair in the past. Uh, but he was telling the literal truth there in an effort to be deceptive without experiencing cognitive dissonance. The other thing that they found is that it causes physical symptoms of discomfort and so people uh, tend to uh, scratch themselves or or rub their face or um, they engage in what's called grooming behavior. They line up all the pens on the desk neatly and squarely or you know, uh, rustle their papers and line everything up and they try to clean the area where they are. All of that is sort of subconsciously driven behavior that these CIA interrogators say uh, is an indication that the person is being deceitful when they're giving whatever remark they're giving at that time. The, so they're watching for all that Was in the CEO context.
2: Th- these also sound like good tips for the average listener out there. Who The next time they go in a meeting with their boss.
1: I tell you, I mean, you can use this in your day-to-day life. I mean, you know, what's your wife up to? You know? <laughs> um, I found, uh, you know, a lot of it, just as an investigative reporter myself, a lot of it sort of made intuitive sense. I mean, sort of hit me in the gut. Uh, you know, we all, uh, reporters all have sort of a BS detector. And, you um, you know, what these guys have done is sort of laid it out in a very detailed way, sort of how you can develop a good BS detector. But a lot of it uh, just seems like you know, good old-fashioned street smarts to me as much as anything else.
2: You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking about the secret world of corporate espionage with Eamon Javers. The, the, the things that you write about um, where companies are hiring spies to listen in on conversations at public restaurants, that sort of thing, that's yeah. not illegal.
1: No, it's not. Uh, In one of the chapters in the book, I I call it the chocolate war, this sort of epic battle that's been going on for years between Nestle and Mars, in which Nestle spies were dumpster diving at Mars headquarters to try to pull documents out of the trash. Uh, And I loved what they did. They were so meticulous about their dumpster diving that, they were worried the janitors at Mars headquarters would notice that the trash was missing uh, when they came by every night to take it. And so they brought dummy trash with them uh, (laughs) to to put into the trash bin so that there would be the same number of trash bags in the morning when the janitor came back out to, you know, bring the next load in. By the way, hey, wait a second, where's this
2: going? Where do you go to get dummy trash? Or do you have to just (laughs) create it on your own? I think they
1: just took it from their kitchens. I'm not not, not totally sure. Uh, But eventually what they were doing was, you know, it got very elaborate and they were taking, the the old trash out, bringing it back to their offices, sifting through it, looking for documents, emails, calendars, anything that could help them sort of build a case about what was going on inside Mars headquarters on be, on behalf of Nestle. Uh, and then after a certain number of days of you know looking through that trash, they would bag it back up and they would bring that back. And so they were bringing the old trash back uh, and and stealing the new trash. And they had this sort of elaborate uh, you know conveyor belt of trash going. But these guys were also tailing the Mars executives. They were listening to their conversations when they're at an executive retreat in the eastern shore of Maryland. They followed them there and and they booked hotel rooms in the hotel so they could listen in on what the guys were saying at the bar after after work. Uh, All of that was going on uh, in order to help Nestle get a picture of what mars was up to and uh, you know all of it you know these veteran secret service officers who were involved in this thing uh you know all of it was done with government style intelligence investigative techniques but it was all about chocolate i mean it was about you know market share in the chocolate business
2: holder right there coming up in a minute we'll have more with amon javers and a round of buy seller hold You're listening to Motley Fool Money. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking with Eamon Chavers about Broker, Trader, Lawyer, Spy, his new book about the secret world of corporate espionage. Eamon, what surprised you the most when you were working on this book?
1: Uh, a couple of things. I mean, one was the active duty CIA piece of this. I mean, I, I knew going into this book that I was going to be investigating a world where you have a lot of retired intelligence officers uh, who get into this business. So re- veteran CIA people, veteran FBI people, uh, British MI5 officers and the like. The fact that you had active duty CIA people involved in, in one of these firms was really astonishing to me because that sort of brings up a real core question of, you know, what do we want our government intelligence operatives to be able to do and not to do? And who are they really working for here? I mean, are they working for the taxpayer or are they working for the hedge fund billionaires? I mean, I think that's a valid question uh, that we need some answers to. Uh, but I was also really interested in sort of the global mix of how this works. So in one of the cases, you know, we find uh, ex-KGB and Soviet military intelligence guys who uh, now you know work in Roslyn, Virginia, just, just around the corner from Langley, the CIA headquarters, and they're doing corporate intelligence work now on behalf of American companies. And these are guys who are out of work after the Cold War, uh, veteran communists, veteran Soviets, and Uh, Now they're working for Disney and American law firms and others. Uh, You find American CIA veterans who are working for Middle Eastern sheiks. You find British MI5 veterans who are working for Russian oligarchs. So the mix internationally of who's working for who and and sort of just where some of these intelligence assets are going and how they're being deployed is, is fascinating and I think a little bit spooky when you look at it, you know, because ultimately these guys are in it for the money. You become a spy for patriotic reasons, you know, in theory. You go into the CIA or the MI5 or something because you love your country and you want to protect it and defend it. Uh, You become
2: a corporate spy because you want to get rich. All right, before we let you get away, we're going to play a quick round of buy, sell, or hold. I'll spot you up with some sure. concepts, ideas. You tell me, if they were stocks, would you be buying, selling, or holding them? All right. uh, and keeping in mind that uh, you, you know you do have a new book out, but your day job is working for Politico. Uh, so, Reports out this week that Sarah Palin has earned at least $12 million since resigning as governor. Buy, sell, or hold the likelihood that Sarah Palin will run for president in 2012.
1: Sell. Uh, I don't think...
2: Um, I think
1: she's in this for the money, speaking of people who are in it for the money. I think she's making an enormous amount of money right now. And um, I, it's clear that she enjoys that. She relishes the, the stage and platform that she has. Uh, it's not entirely clear that she wants to uh, get back into the arcane policy weeds uh, and do the kinds of things that she needs to do on the substance end uh, to, to really get through a Republican presidential primary. I, I think... That uh, if she's savvy at all, she knows that the other Republican presidential candidates will be really after her in a big way in, in a primary, and, and she will at the end of the day. I would predict, and you know this will come back to haunt me, but uh, I would predict she will she'll sit it out.
2: All right, it's one of the more ubiquitous online scams. Buy, sell, or hold the future of the Nigerian email scam. Buy buy it. <laughs> strong buy, <laughs> it's, huh?
1: It's, it's always, I'm um, a strong buy. It's always going to be with us. And in <laughs> fact, uh, one of the things that I learned in doing the research for my book, a precursor to the Nigerian email scam, which they called in the 19th century, the boodle game. And basically uh, it was a deal where people were so embarrassed at having been taken in by this, uh, that they never reported it to the police because it was too humiliating to admit that they had been suckers. Uh, I think that's just a part of human nature and it will always be with us.
2: Buy, sell, or hold a manned trip to Mars in the next 10 years.
1: Sell. Uh, It's not happening. Uh, It's too expensive. The United States financial position is just much different than it was in the 1960s when we sent men to the moon. Um, I just don't see Congress ever really backing that to the extent that it needs to be backed to make it actually happen. I think what you're going to see is actually Congress financing NASA just enough to avoid you know major traumatic layoffs there, uh, but not enough to have any spectacular accomplishment. And that might be uh, sort of a vision of NASA limping along in the future. But I think that's where the politics shake
2: out. And finally, Eamon, he's been around for a while, but he's got a lot of competition these days. Buy, sell, or hold the future of James Bond. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, That's a really good one, especially given my book. I mean, I would say spy, uh, just in the sense that he's such an iconic figure and can always be reinvented for a new generation. I mean, the, the, the sort of dashing, uh, globetrotting spy with all kinds of technology, uh, there's something just inherently appealing to that. And and uh, it's like the Star Trek franchise. You know, you can kind of keep reinventing it for a new generation and coming up with new takes on it and, and making it current. I think Bond is a, sort of the same way. I think we'll be watching Bond movies with our grandchildren, probably.
2: The book is Broker, Trader, Lawyer, Spy, The Secret World of Corporate Espionage. It is fascinating stuff, and any investor will think twice about their investments when they read this book. Amy Jabbers, thanks so much for being here.
1: Hey, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it.
2: As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based only on what you hear. Chris Hill here in the studio, and joining me once again, our trio of senior analysts, Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zerman. Guys, we're, we've got a couple minutes here, so we're, we're going to do a little something with Harper's Index uh, from Harper's Magazine, sure. and we'll get Steve Broido on mic here. Steve, can you, can you throw out a couple of uh, uh, questions from the Harper's Index?
1: You bet. The percentage of taco shells that Taco Bell Mexico imports from the United States.
2: Uh, wow. That's going to be
4: an unlikely answer, but uh, I'll
1: say 67%.
3: 100. 100.
1: Excellent. 100%. Wow. wow. What
3: do they know in Mexico about taco shells? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Give us another.
1: Okay. The number of U.S. patents issued for corporate tax avoidance strategies. Again, oh. the number of U.S. patents issued for corporate tax avoidance strategies. I strategy. know. This one. You,
2: you would think that would be a growth industry. Yeah, you it's would. Huge.
1: You would. Uh, Grover Norquist must have
2: 15,000.
3: A thousand. No. Several hundred.
1: The actual number is 32. Yes. Ah, it's
2: still okay. a lot. A little
1: high.
3: You know what, America?
2: We can do better. Come on. Get out there. All
1: right. Last one, Steve. Okay. The number of escort services and McDonald's restaurants, respectively, in Washington, D.C.,
3: my hometown.
2: Okay. So we're looking for two numbers here.
3: <laughs> can we just give Num- the
2: ratio? The number of escort <laughs> services and McDonald's restaurants in Washington, D.C. Two numbers. I'm going to
4: they're roughly comparable and around
2: 327.
4: Wow. That's high. Oh, okay. I that- was going to
3: say 30 or 40 each. I'm going to say uh, 30 to 40 McDonald's and, and maybe a fourth as many escort services.
1: Steve? Uh, the numbers are actually 26 escort services, 23 McDonald's restaurants. No way. In, in the D.C.
4: metropolitan area or just in D.C.? Inside itself? Washington, uh, uh, D.C. Uh, okay. no, it's right. a lot of all
1: McDonald's right. inside the District
4: of Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
2: All right, guys, time to talk about the stocks that are on our radar. And Shannon Zimmerman, I will start with you.
4: Well, this is not really a stock that I'm putting on my watch list for the sake of, oh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll buy it. I think it's uh, more of a canary in the coal mine stock. It's Schwab. The ticker is SCHB. And uh, they, unlike the institutional uh, trading uh, volume, are their businesses for retail investors. And that's on the decline. About a 19% drop in trading uh, led to you know, a, a worse than expected first quarter earnings. That's something very interesting to watch. A lot of mom and pop, individual investor retail money staying on the sidelines. And maybe, you know, mom and pop, they're going to call it right after this rally that we've been on for so long.
0: James Early. Chris, if this banking rally persists, I'm tempted to short some of these names. Um, Ideally, I'd go for a a lower quality bank like Citigroup first. It's very risky, so I wouldn't advocate this for everybody. But
3: if it gets pricey enough, it could be a good trade. Maybe just buy puts. Your risk is capped that way. All right, Seth, Jason? I wish I knew of, of a company after that escort service thing that provided <laughs> like VD shots, but I don't know who does that. So I'm just going to so go gonna with... So you're going to go with McDonald's? I'll go with McDonald's. No, I'll go with somebody, something uh, related, a hidden gems company related to the computer industry, which is Form Factor, F-O-R-M. They provide testing products for uh, the, the, the folks who make computer chips, memory chips. And if we are in the beginning of a cycle as I believe we may be in tech, then they stand to gain, and the stock has been pummeled lately.
2: And the ticker symbol? F-O-R-M. Okay. Seth, Jason, James Early, Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, thanks for being here. Good to be with you, Chris. Thanks also to our special guest this week, Eamon Javers, the author of Broker, Trader, Lawyer, Spy, The Secret World of Corporate Espionage, available in bookstores everywhere on Amazon. Definitely check it out. Some really interesting stuff. And if you miss any part of the show, you can find it at our website, MotleyFoolMoney.com. All one word, MotleyFoolMoney.com. You can also get a copy of our free report, The Motley Fool's Top Stock for 2010. All that and more at MotleyFoolMoney.com. And hey, drop us an email. We want to know what the stocks are that are on your radar. We want to know if you've tried the new KFC Double Down sandwich and lived to tell the tale. Our email address is fool.com. That's fool.com. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.